Hey, welcome to Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. Let's get right into it. I'd like to bring this back around to relationships specifically, and this is both relationship with self and relationship with with others. Something that something else you said to me when we were kind of (laughs) pre-chatting about this was that so often when you're interacting with your clients, um, you find yourself relaying this idea to them um, of you don't know how amazing you are. And I think it's important to kind of cue on this specifically because we've talked a lot about processing (laughs) our (laughs) uncomfortable and negative experience. (laughs) And that can once again lead to so many shoulds and self-judgment and everything else where then people get so clouded around their own value because they're so busy editing themselves in the journey of trying to improve themselves that they actually cease improving, which is a fascinating conversation I was having with a woman last night uh, at, at, of all things, a, a business event. But, you know, I can't help myself. Um <laughs> So I would love to know what it is about self-work that is so critical to your practice. So I think people underestimate their worth. I think they don't understand how valuable they are as a human in the world and what they contribute. And there are some people who know, but are afraid because, and there's so many reasons why people have that. They may have been told that as a young child or have very specific life experiences. And then there's, so there's that, there's that one. And then there's the other one where if you've ever been around somebody who thinks that they are amazing and, and, and lets everyone know how amazing they are, it is a turnoff for that. You don't want to experience that. So you might say, oh, I don't want to be like that person. So I'm going to stay here and be very humble and small and go unnoticed because I, that person I don't like. And right. they, they don't quite know how to find that, that zone where they can see their potential and see the, the amazing human that they were created to be and that their worth is, they were born with worth. They were born with value and they never have to earn it. They never have to ask for it. They mm-hmm. never have to um, try to create it. It's already there. And when they get in touch with themselves, they can start tapping into that. So, okay. I'm about to really muddy the water. I hope that's cool. Are you ready? Yeah. (laughs) I had zero intention of, of doing this. I was going to (laughs) like, let's let's just do like 15 minutes specifically on self-worth. Yeah. But I do want to call something out and this is not about calling you out. This is, this is about understanding something. I think it's happening in our society right now. And so audience, I apologize in advance. If this kind of seems to go off the rails, I promise I will bring it back. (laughs) Um, But I think it's something important to note that in the description of the person who tells the world how great they are, I think it's really important to to pinpoint two two critical things that occur in that moment, um, either simultaneously or uniquely depending on the person. And that is that all superiority complexes are really inferiority complexes. It's someone who is compensating for the lack of worth that they think that they have so that even if they give lots of value and the world has been telling them they give lots of value, they don't really believe it. There's a gap between 
how much they think they're worth. And so they're, this is a facade that they're putting on to reflect the worth that others have expressed to them or um, the worth that they're supposed to be giving. And this can either act simultaneously with or separately from a sense of entitlement. And so often people who have been told over and over again that they deserve to get all the good things in the world, then they believe that. And then when they don't get that, then they're bitchy, disappointed, sullen, whatever else, because they think that they deserve all of these good things. And so as someone who worked with adolescents, it was so critical for me in my perception of my job description to teach them that the best way to develop self-esteem, true, genuine self-esteem, that word is very important, esteem, how, how high you hold yourself. Genuine self-esteem comes from meeting challenges and overcoming them. And moreover, that actually leads you to deliver true value in the world. Now, I would never tell them that explicitly, but I didn't need to because suddenly when they started developing their own sense of self-esteem, they started more naturally helping others. They started more naturally being present in the world and showing up in positive ways. Um, and so I think that there's such a significant relationship where entitlement defeats self-esteem because you're always in a victim role. You're always at the whim of your circumstances and your emotions. And so when we talk about self-worth, I wanted to just take a quick moment to say, if you find yourself being self-important, that person cut me off, what an asshole, right? Or, or, or why, what is, what's going on actually more accurately? Because that is a threat potentially if someone cuts you off. So let's disregard that example and say just traffic. It's like, it's like don't these people know who I am? I need to be somewhere right now. Get the fuck out of my way, right? So this, this all ends up being some kind of connected. So I just kind of wanted to detour off into that example of the person who is acting like they're the most important thing in the world, that it is either an inferiority complex acting out and compensating, or it's a sense of entitlement that also isn't serving them because they're always going to be at the whim of their emotion or the whim of their experience because they think that they're deserving of something. And so what is so powerful about this conversation is I think we both find ourselves working with people who are in the reverse situation, yeah. exactly mm -hmm. as you described, where yeah. they're trying to tamp down and not, quote, be like that, or they're trying to over-deliver on how they're, quote, supposed to be and the shows and everything else, and they are deriving their worth solely from how people react to them or how they want to curate how people react to them. And so then their sense of self-worth is off because as you said, it's well below what they're actually doing and how wonderful of a person they really are. Because it's so true that people who are overgivers tend to be some of the most lovely, wonderful people. And granted, some of that loveliness comes from their overcompensating, <laughs> if we're being real. Yeah. Um, but at some point, if we want to live happy, fulfilled lives and actually deliv deliver even more on the worth that we bring, the value that we bring, we need to see it for ourselves because we can actually deliver on it way better and more consistently than if we're hiding in this shell of, oh, I'm not that great. Oh, I'm not that 
valuable. Oh, not that, whatever. Like when you are able to really recognize your gift and say, I'm really fucking good at this. And you could double down on it and help people a lot more. It's just part of the entrepreneurial journey, certainly. Um, but also it improves relationships, communication relationships and everything else. So thank you for going on that side journey with me. Yeah. And going back to that, I think it's important to know a lot of times for the women I work with, self-worth is not what they're thinking. They don't, they don't realize that their struggles are about their worth. Um, it might be they have an inability to enforce boundaries in a relationship. Mm, yeah. And the reason they don't enforce them is because they're afraid, well, he might leave me if I enforce this boundary. That is a self-worth issue. Right. That is that my worth is tied to his presence in my life. Not I am worthy and amazing and a whole right now, whether he's here or not, may, that doesn't change. And so self-worth for your audience, I want to make sure that it's not, you're not going to say, oh, I don't feel good about myself. It will come out in other ways right. and it will look different, but at the root of it is the concept of self-worth. So for for the sake of of clarity and thank you so much for for bringing that up um i think it would be great to just take 30 seconds here about boundaries because i think that boundaries are really misunderstood so i'd love to understand your perspective of boundaries i suspect we have a whole lot of overlap um <laughs> uh, but i just think people again don't understand that asking for things for themselves will actually be beneficial to others and and so without me going too far off on it, on that, my own thoughts on that, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. So boundaries is fascinating because it, um, once I understood what boundaries meant, it really changed a lot of my relationships in my life. My marriage at that point, we had, it was not quite a problem, but in other relationships. Um, so boundaries, the biggest misconception is that we set a rule about how we will or will not be treated or how we, what we will or will not tolerate in our life. And then we might express it. We might just expect it because to us, it seems like just an an inalienable human right for these boundaries. Um, And then we expect everyone to honor them. So we're like, I've got these boundaries. You should know that. It's your job to honor the boundaries. And that's where the problem is because when someone doesn't honor them, we are upset and we're offended. And I can't believe they've done this to me and you feel violated. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem is that it's not other people's job to honor our boundaries. It is our job to enforce them. Mm. And you see that a lot in marriage. Yeah. Right. Where we women won't say, I'm sorry, I don't talk, let people talk to me this way. I'm going to have to leave. And when you can talk to me and treat me with respect, then we can continue the conversation. Mm-hmm. They, they're not willing to do that or they're not aware of it, or they've got a fear about what enforcing, what enforcing that will mean for their relationship. Mm-hmm. And so the boundaries are very important because it is us putting a, 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 a wall around our self-worth, around our respect for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so not only does the person who violates our boundary not respect us, but we lose respect for ourselves. And that starts this steady decline into a real battle for, for feeling good about who we are and what, uh, what we have to offer the world. Yeah. If I were to kind of, um, paraphrase or summarize part of what you just said, call out actually, and then paraphrase part of what you just said is that enforcing boundaries is about making conscious choices about how we will respond to people doing things that don't work for us. Yeah. And, 
and what's so important about phrasing it that way is that we are not at the whim of the other person treating us quote correctly or incorrectly that we this is a relationship it goes two ways and that what i so powerful about what you just said is that a part of boundaries is communication and so communicating clearly hey it's like the um, nonviolent communication oftener uh, observation feeling need request kind of formula for communication it's like when people raise their voice around me i feel frightened because of negative past experiences that i had so i have this need to to feel safe i have this desire to feel safe so in order for us to maintain this conversation i'd really appreciate it if you lowered your voice and to be clear if you're not going to be able to do that that's fine but then i will be leaving this conversation because that's what i need to do for me so i'd like to be here right now i would like to finish this conversation um, but this is the only way that i'm going to be able to do that exactly and the fact is that setting boundaries like that and be able to communicate like that improves the lives of everyone because when people think, oh, I just need to give, 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 that actually doesn't help the mental health of the person that you're giving to. It actually helps that other person to understand what your needs are. And if they're not able to meet them, that you know that that is not the right person for you to be around. And you're leaving maybe just as beneficial as you trying to stay and work it out with them because then they will have a new data point in their own lives about what's going on and what respect is. And that teaches them a lesson on how to respect themselves and how to have self-worth. I talked about that in the classroom all the time. It's like you teacher are an example. Every time I talk to a kid about my emotional state, I was indirectly teaching them how to be aware of their own emotional states. We can't do anything better than respect ourselves. There is nothing in this life that is more beneficial on a, on a, like a shotgun, you know, large wave approach. I'm not talking about critical, single, acute, in the moment choices. And I do not know why I'm getting a phone call. I apologize <laughs> for that. So as I was saying, there are acute micro choices that we can make in any given circumstance. So that's not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about as a blanket baseline state of being. There is nothing more valuable than understanding ourselves in that, in that regard and in, in, in applying that type of sense of respect and self-worth because we are teaching other people how to treat us. We're teaching ourselves how to treat ourselves. Again, with that negative self-talk and everything else, once we start to eliminate the negative self-talk, we are teaching ourselves how to show respect. And then we're able to show up. It benefits everyone whether as an example or um because then they will feel respected and they will understand boundaries for themselves i just i don't think it could be uh overstated because i definitely think it's underestimated the value of boundaries in self-work and self-worth work and the more emotionally entangled we are with someone, the harder it is to enforce the boundaries because we fear their judgment. We fear what might happen. There's a lot, that's where fear starts to show up. So in a, a marriage or in a, a partnership, uh, you know, a, where maybe they're not married, but they're a couple, yeah. um, not necessarily, although a business partnership, I guess too, 
that's where you really have to be diligent about making sure your boundaries are clear, established, and enforced. And that doesn't mean hard, fast, super strict. It can be, there's love and compassion in there. And the compassion sometimes has to be to yourself. And that's why you enforce it. Because you're saying, I I am protecting me. Mm -hmm. And I'm honoring me. And these are my walls of respect. And it's my job to be the patrolman to keep those walls intact. Word. Yes. Uh, Again, understanding that as a human, I am programmed to desire love, acceptance, and approval because those things mean survival. Then by developing love, acceptance, and approval of ourselves, which may come from hard, diligent work. It may come from improving ourselves. This goes back to the self-esteem thing. It might come from I mean, it really comes from setting goals and meeting them, whether it's I'm going to shout less at my children. Well, guess what? When you start shouting less at your children, you feel better about yourself. And when you feel better about yourself, you're less likely to shout at your children. It's a cycle. It all works out really beautifully well, right? Um, And so when we develop love and acceptance and approval of ourselves, we're actually more capable of receiving love, acceptance and approval from those around us because we don't need it at the same level. We're not in, again, in that needy space. And then we develop healthy relationships where we're actually getting love, acceptance, and approval because staying with a person who's verbally abusive, for example, is not actually receiving love, acceptance, and approval. It's receiving some strange facsimile that isn't really facsimile. It's some strange stand-in, which is presence. It's the same reason that some people seek sex because it triggers the chemicals in their brain that that are the same as the love acceptance and approval and bonding hormones and everything else. But then when the sex is done, you still don't have love acceptance and approval. So, you know, this, this all just understanding that simple thing. That, and, and so that's why I think self-worth. So thank you for bringing that out. Cause I, I hadn't ever explicitly called it self-worth in that context, but that really is love acceptance and approval of yourself is your perception of self-worth is how you walk in the world, how you develop these relationships um, that are so, so important. And, and really frankly, how you're going to be able to start to manage those emotions. You know, those two I, things are related. Sorry. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here, Ryan, but this is something that really drives me. It's a little controversial. I'm sure you and your audience can handle it, but it's something that, that I'm not going to, I mean, I hate to say blame, but of course there is some source and valid sources for this concept. So there's one of the best selling marriage books of all time. And part of the content is unbelievable. It's fabulous, but there's a philosophy behind the content that is expressed very clearly, that is this idea that we all have love buckets, Mm. which is basically for us self-worth buckets. Mm. And it is the job in a marriage or in a partnership for the other person to fill their partner's love bucket. That's your Mm. job. Mm. Right. And (laughs) so there are millions of women, millions of couples who subscribe to this idea that I am going to fill my husband, my partner's love bucket. I'm going to fill it, fill it. And then I'm going to stand here and wait for him to fill mine. And when he doesn't, what does that mean? That means my bucket's not worth filling. That means I am left feeling emotionally depleted because I've poured my emotion into their bucket. It is a, it is a beautiful theory, right? In an ideal world, that might be true. But here is the honest truth. 
this is where I'm going to get controversial because I'm going to tell you that book is wrong. Yay. Wrong. It is our job to fill our own love buckets in a relationship, out of a relationship. It is our job. No one else has that responsibility. So if you're in your life, if you're in a relationship and your love bucket is empty and you're waiting for your husband, your partner, your spouse, somebody, your fiance, whoever it is to fill it, you are handing over your power, control, and emotions to that person. And what happens is as soon as you start to fill your love bucket, anything they give to you, anything else, it will overflow and you will have an abundance of everything you desire. And it does not happen till you fill it first. I, I think it's so interesting because I don't know how whoever listens to this will feel, but I do not find that to be the least bit controversial. And in fact, I have said for the majority of my thinking life, I the, the of the age that I became capable of metacognition of, of metacognition around love. I think it's so important to say, and some of this came from my mother, who is a therapist, and and we absolutely had conversations about this. I remember very distinctly having conversations about this growing up. When you show up for a relationship, you are one hundred percent you, and they are one hundred percent them, and you show up together and you enrich each other's lives. It is not, I'm 50% of a person, you're 50% of a person, together we make a whole person. I am a whole person, my own thoughts, feelings, desires, wants, drives, etc. And you have the same thing. And our job is as, a, as partners to support each other in those things as well as possible. I have on my wall I will read it to you right now. And I'm going to butcher her name. I think it's Virginia Sater, but I, someone told me it was Satir. I don't know. But anyway, this fantastic. And this also, my mom had on the wall growing up. And I was like, hey, mom, can I have that when I move out? And I took it with me. And it is on my wall to this day. It says, I want to leave you without clutching, appreciate you without judging, join you without invading, invite you without demanding, leave you without guilt, criticize you without blaming, and help you without insulting. If I can have the same from you, then we can truly meet and enrich each other. Yeah. That is like the core tenet. That is how I've built every conscious part of my relationship, as much as functional as some of my relationships have been. I was still consciously aiming for that. I think it is so, 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 so critically important um, that people understand that. It's so crucial. And the reason it's controversial, you had a mom who taught you this. So to you, this is very normal. But when, when you get married or when you start dating or you go to read what are the New York Times bestselling books on marriage, and that is the words in the book, that's what you accept, right? You go to the expert and the rest of the book is amazing. It's, there's some beautiful content. I just feel it's a little naive in the reality of humanness and so yeah. forth. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I, I think I, I would add one um, uh, one kind of like chit in the column uh, of, of the rightness of the statement about your partner filling your bucket only, only in this specific circumstance. And that is my responsibility is to fill my own bucket there are days when I am depleted and I am not capable of filling my bucket. 
And then in order to fill my bucket is my responsibility to say to my partner, babe, I had a shit day or babe, I am so tired. Could you please do blank for me? And it might be <laughs> hold my head in your lap while I sob. <laughs> it might be, um, could you please make dinner tonight? I know it's my turn. It could be, can I just bitch for, can I vent? And, and I know you probably had a long day too, but you know, can we, can we do me first today or, or whatever it happens to be. And then it is your healthy, loving partner's responsibility in that moment to either say, yes, absolutely. I've got you or no, <laughs> I too had a shit day. We're going to have to figure this out. <laughs> Maybe we could take a walk or maybe we go whatever else. And then you're able to, this goes back to the enriching each other. And then you can figure that out. And maybe some days I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to have a need that's not going to get met. And I'm going to be honest and say, I had a rough day too, but yes, let's talk about you. And I'm going to suffer for a little bit longer that day. But then my partner's going to feel fantastic and deferred pleasure. Uh, she's going to then be capable to care for me. Because I was able to, in that moment, care for her. But sometimes we make sacrifices and sometimes we leave our bucket unfilled and we feel shitty for a little while. Or sometimes we ask someone to help us fill our bucket. And I think that that is only possible when we have developed this awareness, when we have developed a sense of self-worth that I am, it is worth me asking for you to help me fill my bucket. I know, and, and knowing it's my responsibility and it's a gift to have a partner who will help me fill my bucket. And that has been one of the most powerful parts of my relationship, um, you know, with Aaron is that was, that was something that led in our relationship, you know, whatever drama and mess that we needed to go through to figure out how we were going to be with each other. We always had an eye on that being the truth. And it gave us a way to work through the hard times to build the, the foundational relationship, you know, the strong foundation we have in our relationship so that when stuff feels upside down, we can call it out and say it, or we can start to fight and then go, wait, why are we fighting? This is stupid. Can we resolve whatever it is that's really the problem here that's causing us to be like this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know? And then, okay, you know me, I'm going to take it to the next level. We're going to go a little yeah. deeper on this. Um, so you mentioned it earlier. The idea is that I, I work on me and you work on you and together we are amazing, right? Yes. We're, we're not, we're two holes, not one hole, not two halves. Right. So you've got your bucket, which I don't even like the term bucket. I think I prefer bowl. We've got sure. a bowl, right? We're holding our bowl. But what happens is this bowl is, um, it's a material that that's not human made. So we can't, it's not quite ceramic, but what happens is as we grow through life, as we have life experiences and the hurts and the pains, we develop these little tiny cracks in the bowl. Mm. And every time there's a hurt and a belief and a feeling of insecurity, those cracks show up. So what happens is when our partner does fill our bowl, the water seeps out and it doesn't last. And the more that those holes are in there, the quicker the water leaves. So a compliment, you look great today it might be gone within an hour, mm -hmm. right? And the reason is because we have these little fissures. And so your job in a relationship, in addition to feeling, filling your bucket, is to healing those cracks, fill them with gold, fill them with whatever you need, so that when your partner does pour love in, it stays there. Yeah. And it doesn't seep out and you're not dry and parched waiting for more love to fill it. 
That is your job. Your partner cannot heal your bowl. That is your job. And you fill it and the water doesn't seep out and they put it. And in fact, now it's overflowing and you don't even know what to do. Maybe you need to create a bigger bowl because you've got an abundance of water. But that is your job. So how does one heal? I, I think I already know the answer. So I'm, I'm begging a question. But um, how does one heal their bowl? So that is your pers- everyone's personal path on self-development to finding their worth and to getting the right people to help them go back and look at those wounds that created them and to to literally accept, acknowledge, and allow the emotions tied to that wound and make peace with the experience that it happened. And then that is how you, you heal the bowl. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is very much in alignment with my own perspective that, that essentially those those wounds as you describe them uh produce uh certain types of self-talk and so there's no faster way to drain a bowl than to turn it into a sieve right like just be like well since i'm not worthy of receiving this love it's just going to pour it's going to pour right through or because of some some thought that negates the love i'm receiving oh they don't really mean it then it just kind of like bounces off the side of the bowl. I mean, we could extend this metaphor forever, right? Yeah. Um, that until we're, we're prepared to receive, I definitely had relationships where I was not prepared. I was not prepared to receive yeah. the love that I was given. And there's definitely uh, situations in my life where I am a heart-centered person and I like, oh, I see you have a crack in your bowl. So I am going to fill you with love yeah. more quickly than it can seep out. And I won't do it forever because I've learned not to drain myself. Um, but in a moment when I'm with someone who I see a little crack in their bowl, I'm like, I got you. I got you. For this, for this 10, 15 minutes that we're around each other, I'm just going to pour so much love into you that you're going to be like, holy crap, I've never had my bowl <laughs> full before. And then maybe that'll help you trigger into like, oh, I'm going to start sealing up this crack here so I can, I can feel this way more often. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's the best relationships allow us the opportunity to work on the cracks that are biggest and hardest to deal with. And they hold the other ones tight for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and in, in that, that's such a, Oh my gosh, my brain's doing the bubble thing where I've got like <laughs> five ideas at once. The core thing that I just wanted to acknowledge in that is to, to not wait to have a relationship to start um, filling in the holes or however you want to describe it to start, you know, kind of repairing the bowl as it were. Um, and simultaneously I have had people I've just, you know, talked with, who I said, you know, they were talking about uh, avoiding getting into a relationship while they work on themselves. And I said, okay, look, here's the deal. Conscious choice. You can still choose that. But conscious choice, sometimes starting a relationship while you're working on it, recognizing that it may not be your forever relationship, but it may be the best place for you and whoever you end up with, because these things tend to work out in really strange and amazing ways. The lessons you needed to learn attracted a person who needed to learn a different set of lessons, and that's okay. And you build that out in your relationship. The relationship ends and served its purpose. That's fine. Not that you consciously walk into a relationship going, okay, this relationship is going to serve the purpose of this, and it's going to end, and I'm going to go on. Like that, I'm not saying that. Um, but to, to make the conscious choice, I'm going to spend 
six plus months alone until some life circumstance maybe suggests I do something different and work on this with myself, whether it's through journaling or therapy or coaching or whatever else, and then get back into the world of dating, for example. Um, or it might be, okay, I know what I want to work on. So I'm going to be really conscious in my next relationship, whenever that shows up. Like there's, this is not a, again, a one size fits all model the, the core practice is the same. Just how you enact it may be different. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've talked about so many cool things. I'd love to kind of wrap up with if there are any major takeaways that you have or if anything else kind of related, like a wrap-up thought or something you want to highlight from something we've already discussed that you think is really critical for people to, to kind of walk away with. So just to begin with, I think it's important if you haven't started on the self-awareness journey, start there. That's where you begin. That's step one. Um, and if you are in that process and you're learning about yourself and discovering, keep going because this is a ne- this is a lifelong process. You're always uncovering the different layers of who you are and how things trigger. And just know that this process may not be easy. It may not be pretty and it may not be fun, but learning to regain control over who you are and your emotions and your heart and understand you yourself better it is going to transform every single relationship in your life because you are going to transform in the process. Yeah. Just you saying that was making me think of something that I think it's Brooke Castillo says about discomfort as the currency that kind of gets you to the next level. I'm paraphrasing. I know that I am. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, similarly, I'd like to say, you know, you're already suffering. So choose your suffering. It's like the devil, you know, right? So you're already suffering. You know, this doesn't feel good. So, now is your opportunity to make a conscious choice. Yes, I choose to continue to suffer the way I am because that works for me. Great. Or no, I'm going to suffer in a new way. I'm going to take on this new discomfort um, in order to get what I really want. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And suffering might be just simply dissatisfaction. It may not even be a painful experience. It might be a feeling of discontent or or like there's something more. It, It can have many forms, but just get started and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, had this image as you were talking that, um, you know, people say life is a journey, not a destination, you know, cliche, cliche, cliche. But um, similarly, you know, someone else described it as climbing a mountain. So I, I would say that, you know, okay, you climb a mountain, you get to the top, as opposed to just being like, okay, I'm at the top. Having climbed that mountain, now you get to look around and go, I want to climb that mountain now. And that gives you the capacity to then, you know, trot down the, you know, the other side of the mountain or walk across the valley or whatever metaphor you want um, and take on the next peak. Maybe it's a mountain range. There you go. Take on the next peak. And then when you get to that top of that peak, you're like, I'm going to take on the next peak and you take on the next peak. And you just get to keep doing that. And instead of seeing it as like, oh, I'm never going to get where I'm going, see it as, oh, look at where I've been. And look at how much I've grown and look at how much I'm capable of and look how much better my life is now because I have these tools and these capacities. And so to me, that's that core, um, core driver as, as we look across the topics that we've discussed today about, um, understanding what our emotions manifest and understanding, um, you know, our, our self-worth and how, being centered essentially improves every aspect of our lives because we become more responsive and capable and aware. And that applies to, to everything. And specifically, you know, in your practice relationships and my experience with teaching how I was in the classroom, dealing with my coworkers, I mean, having fun with my coworkers, I mean, whatever. Uh, (laughs) um, And, and just that, 
the power of, of, of that cluster of ideas of awareness and presence with emotion and, and all of the opportunities that opens up for us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it was so good chatting with you today. I absolutely think we need to do this again. Yeah, for sure. I, I could keep going, like just keep asking the questions. I'll keep going on about it forever. Yeah, I, well, you know I will. Um, I think what we're gonna have to do is is when we when we wrap this up, uh, we're just gonna have to talk. You know, lay out what we're gonna talk about next and do another yeah. clear, you know, cluster of episodes around a, a connected topic. I really look forward to that. Yeah, and thank you for having me on, Ryan. I appreciate it. Absolutely, thank you for being here. Next time on Educate for Life with Ryan Francis, my guest today. For these episodes is Dina Cataldo, lawyer, yoga teacher, coach, and I'm sure lots of other things that I'm leaving out because you <laughs> are the busiest human being that I know in my life. Like I can't even keep track of you. Say hello. Hi. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing quite well. How about yourself? I'm fine. I try not to feel busy, but I do know that I do a lot. Uh, and I. I love your podcast about not saying I'm busy and I called that out on Instagram. So hopefully uh, some listeners here follow me on Instagram and they will have seen me saying, oh my God, everyone listen to this episode. Hey again, thanks for listening. If you want more goodness, come hang out with me on Instagram at educate for underscore life. That's educate the number four underscore life. I jump on almost every day and go live once per week to answer questions and just talk about what's on my mind. We've got some cool stuff coming down the pipe, so expect some announcements in the near future. And with that, I hope you have a great week. Talk with you soon.